had the experience of, of buying a new article of clothing, maybe you bought a, a new dress, or a new shirt, uh, a new jacket, and, and you're wearing it for the first time, and you're, you're feeling good about how you look, and then you spill coffee on it. Uh, or you're washing the dishes and something splashes up on it. Or you're eating a burger at ice and the ketchup spews out all over your shirt. Or your two-year-old throws up on you. Alright? You, you just, you're like, ha, oh, it looks so good and I love this. And now it's, it's just messed up. What do, you, what do you do? What do you do? Well, after um, vocalizing your displeasure, uh, perhaps appropriately, perhaps inappropriately, and then you, you Google, like, how do you get coffee stain out? Uh, you run, you put the spray and wash on it, you scrub it, soak it, wash it. You do anything you can to get that stain out, right? You do anything you can to get that stain out. Uh, what we're going to talk about as we look at Mark chapter 7 today is a, is a deeper stain, uh, a moral stain, a, a spiritual stain, if, if you will, that we all carry. And we're going to talk about the reality of that stain and the things that we do to try to get rid of that stain and how futile those efforts really are and then the only way that that stain can actually be removed. So uh, we'll think about that together. Let's read now Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, this is Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with the vile hands? He said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition Men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, 
coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this, uh, your word that you've given us. Thank you that we can gather and, and think about it now. I pray that you would bless these words that, that I speak, that you would use them uh, in our hearts and our minds, that you speak through me and even over and above me. But give us ears to hear, we pray uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing I want us to see from this passage uh, um, is that we all have a stain. We all have a stain. One of the words that's repeated over and over and over again in this text is the word defile. Defile. It's not a word that we use very much. It means basically to make unclean. The Pharisees, who are kind of the religious superstars of Jesus' day, are very concerned with being unclean. And the conflict in the passage revolves around unclean hands. It's 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 an argument about unclean hands. The Pharisees and some other religious leaders noticed that some of Jesus' disciples uh, aren't washing their hands before they eat. Now, you know, parents, kids, this is, this is not like what we think about it in our context. This is not because it's flu season and your kids have come in from school and they didn't wash their hands before they ate. This is not that type of hand washing. This is a religious ritual, uh, a ceremony. So let me... Give me a minute to kind of back up and explain this to to help us understand this better. Uh, In the Old Testament, the Jewish people had all kind of clean laws that they were required to follow. Now, we have clean laws today. If you walk into a restroom at a restaurant, you'll see a sign that says what? It says, employees, wash your hands before returning to work. They had religious clean laws that said things like, if you touch a dead animal, if you have an infectious skin disease, if your clothes or if your house has mildew in them, then you are considered religiously unclean. You're considered to, to, to have a stain. And because you have this stain, you can't come to church. You couldn't come to, to the temple to worship God. Now the priests were the religious leaders who served in the temple. And they had to undergo ceremonial washings before they went in and did their their time of temple service. And the people who helped the priests had to undergo these ceremony washings as well. And they even had to wash some of the vessels that they used uh, in the worship service there in the temple. So uh, imagine that before every service, I had to go into the locker room here upstairs and take a shower and then take all the communion stuff with me and scrub all that really clean and then bring it down here. And I had to do that every Sunday, every Sunday, so that I wouldn't be unclean. It's almost like a doctor prepping for surgery. You want to make sure you're clean. Now, what's up with all of that? What was the purpose of all of those clean laws? The clean laws were meant to paint a picture. They were meant to be an illustration to help the people understand that God is holy and pure, and you and I, on the other hand, are not. We're, we're impure. We're spiritually stained. We're not spiritually clean. And that uncleanliness separates us, that spiritual uncleanliness separates us then from a holy God. The, the clean laws were meant to show you 
that the things that dirt and disease and decay do to your body, that's the same kind of thing that sin does to your soul. Dirt and disease and decay isolates you from other people. Uh, spiritual decay isolates you from other people as well. Dirt and disease and decay make you fall apart spiritually or physically. Sin does that to you spiritually. Dirt and disease and decay stain you. Sin stains you spiritually. The, the clean laws were there to, to, to help the people to understand. It was giving, the, giving them a picture that just as dirt and disease and decay makes one unclean on the outside, sin makes us unclean on the inside. So what happened? All right? What, what happened? The Pharisees decided that not just the priest, but that everybody needed to observe these laws about ceremonial washings. They realized, and, and you know, it was a good thought, that hey, we, we shouldn't just be worried about being clean before we go into the temple. We ought to be worried about concerned with being clean all the time. And so they came up with all these new ceremonial washings. Washings before meals. Washings after they had been in the marketplace, just in case they had come in contact with the Gentiles. And they made rules about when you washed, and how you washed, and how much water you used. And, and all, there's all kinds of regulations about this. And this body of rules was called the tradition of the elders. The tradition of the elders. And in that day, if you really wanted to be religious, if you really wanted to be a good person, then you needed to follow the tradition of the elders. And so, back to our text. The religious leaders noticed that some of Jesus' disciples aren't jumping through their religious hoops. They aren't washing their hands. And so the, the conclusion they draw is that Jesus must not be that serious about holiness. That Jesus and his disciples must not be that serious about following God. And Jesus basically, he turns on them. He turns to them and in verse 6 he says, You guys honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. In other words, he's saying, no, you got it backwards. You're the ones who actually aren't serious about following God. But notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you know, guys, people are all really basically good. That, that Old Testament stuff, we're getting rid of all that because nobody's really unclean. And God just accepts everybody, and we understand that better now. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. He says, in effect, you guys are missing the point. You're missing the point of what the clean laws were supposed to illustrate. The reality is, is you've got a much bigger issue, a deeper issue. Because it's not our hands, it's not the food that we eat that make us unclean, it's our hearts. It's not this evil coming into us. We've got evil inside of us and evil flowing out of us. Uh, and he goes on a list here, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covenant, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And he's saying to them, the, the uncleanness that you're all so worried about is actually inside of you. The stain that you're trying to get rid of is actually inside of you. And it's in each one of us as well. 
Uh, this is really one of the, the, the central teachings of Christianity. We're all stained. We're all sinners. We're, we're all guilty before God. Uh, and, and let's be honest, that's probably one of the least popular teachings of Christianity in our culture. Because what do people say? Well, I, I, I really think you just have to decide what's right and wrong for yourself. And if there is a God, then we can't be all guilty before Him. That just sounds too harsh. And people aren't unclean. People are basically good. They just need love and support and, and to develop self-esteem and they need better education and then they'll be okay. And yet, even though we say that, people say that, we still have this sense of guilt. We still have this sense of shame. We still have this sense that something is wrong with us. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? Uh, Franz Kafka, in one of his diaries, said, The state in which we find ourselves today is sinful, quite independent of guilt. In other words, we've gotten rid of the idea of judgment, but it still feels like there's something wrong with us. And we all feel that. We all feel that something is wrong with us. And that if people really knew us, you know, if... if, if um, if when you became a preacher, you got preacher superpowers and you could see into everybody's thoughts. And I stood up and told everybody's thoughts for the past week, every week. Like, we'd all be horrified. You'd be horrified if you did that to me. All right? We, we were like, nobody would want anything to do with us if that happened. We have the fear that they would just all reject us if they really knew us. Uh, in the, the television show Hell on Wheels, Mr. Bohannon is the, kind of the main character and he's out west working on the railroad and the main labor force for him when they're in California are all these Chinese workers. Uh, and he finds out that one of these workers who appears to be a man is actually a woman who's disguised herself as a man. And when he finds this out, she's terrified and she panics. And she says, please don't tell anybody because if they know who I really am, they'll kill me. If they know who I really am, they'll kill me. And that's something of how we feel. If people really knew me, if people really knew things I had done, if people know the thoughts that go through my mind, they'd want nothing to do with me because I'm staying. I'm staying. And Jesus says, yeah, you're staying. And that staying is, is inside of you. We're all staying. Secondly, we're all busy trying to get rid of the stain. We're all busy trying to get rid of the stain. The Pharisees, what they did was they took, so, so here's the Old Testament law, and they just started stacking more stuff on top of that. They kept adding rules and regulations to it. And what they created was basically this elaborate system that they could then use to establish their own righteousness. Because I've washed my hands, because I've done all these religious deeds, I've jumped through the religious hoops, now I'm really close to God. Now God is going to have to bless me because I've done what I was supposed to do. And so the rules for them were kind of like this religious carpet cleaner that they were trying to use to get the stain out. What do you and I try to do to get the stain out? What are, what are things that we do to try to get the, the stain out? Sometimes it's the, the extra biblical rules that, that we can add. Don't drink or smoke or chew, things like that. Uh, 
you know, here's the little extra rules of our religious community, and as long as you do those, you're, you're okay and we feel good about ourselves. Uh, sometimes it's just our religious busyness. You know, our, our Bible reading can be one more thing we do to try to get the stain out instead of something we use to have fellowship with Jesus. But there are non-religious ways we try to get the stain out as well. I can feel okay about myself if I'm beautiful. If I believe that I'm beautiful and that other people believe I'm beautiful as well. If I'm successful, if I'm popular, if I'm right, if I'm respected, then, then that will, for me, take away some sense of this stain. I was watching, the boys and I were watching the, the O.J. Simpson thing on, on ESPN 30 for 30, and I, and I highly recommend it if you haven't started watching it yet. Um, but the very first line of that documentary, O.J. Simpson says, as a kid growing up in the ghetto, one of the things I wanted most wasn't money, it was fame. I wanted people to say, hey, there goes O.J. That, that fame, that's what he wanted to use try to get the stain out. And we all know how that ended up. We try to get the stain out. We try to, to prove our worth, prove our significance, prove we're enough by building these identities for ourselves so that we feel better about ourselves and hopefully other people will feel better about us as well. Preachers do this. If, if the church goes well, if I preach a good sermon, then I will feel that I am of some consequence, of some value. I'll get the stain out that tells me I am of no value. We all have a stain. We're all busy trying to get that stain out. And honestly, that's one of the reasons we have trouble resting. Because it's hard to rest when you're busy working, trying to get the stain out, scrubbing the stain. It's one of the reasons we get touchy and can't accept criticism. Because... Criticism feels like, ah, oh, you're, you're pointing out the stain that I'm trying to cover up and, and get rid of, so don't, don't do that to me. It's one of the reasons we can't accept help, because we feel so weak when we have to accept help, and it's like that weakness is our stain. If I can just take care of this myself, then I'll be okay. We're all stained. We're all busy trying to get the stain out, but it won't come out. It won't come out. Uh, Jesus says to the Pharisees here, you guys are hypocrites. You're actors. You're, you're playing a role. Your hearts are far from me. And that stain is still there because you're busy scrubbing the outside when the stain is on the inside. It's like they're trying to get the stain out of a carpet by just kind of lightly touching the, the top of the carpet, but they're not getting down really into the fibers and doing what needs to be done to get the carpet clean. Or, or put it like this, imagine you have a house that's infested with termites, but you don't know it because you've never, never bothered to have someone climb underneath the house and inspect it. You've never bothered to have someone climb up in the attic and inspect it. Instead, what you do every year is you put a fresh coat of paint on and you re-landscape the whole front yard and then you take a picture of it and you put it on Facebook and everybody likes it and congratulates you on being such a wonderful house designer, decorator, and you do it again the next year. And, and everything feels fine. You feel good about the house, right? It looks great. But you never address the real problem, and it's slowly rotting away on the inside. 
the Pharisees were busy addressing stain up here at the top level. They were, they were adding coats of paint. And their house looked really good. But they never got to the real stain. They never got down to the, to the real problem. Hey, we're, we're keeping the clean laws. And we've made more clean laws. And we're keeping them too. Hey, Jesus, hey, disciples, why aren't you concerned with keeping these laws? See, instead of seeing their stain, they were actually becoming more and more self-righteous because of the poops they were jumping through. Uh, the other thing that kept them from seeing the stain was that their added rules kept them from seeing the true demands of God's law. Uh, the Pharisees declared things korban. Now, that's a, that's a word we don't use every day. Now, maybe Barry uses that word. I don't know. <laughs> Frequently. Um, it's not a word we use every day. Uh, it basically means devoted to God. And so what they would do is they'd say, because I've devoted this piece of property to God, then it, 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 I can't use it. I can't sell it and use it to help you with something. And so you can devote something to God, and let's say your parents come along and they're getting older and have some health needs, and you really ought to sell that and, and help them out. You can say, well, I've devoted it to God. And I can't help you with, with your needs, Mom and Dad. I've, I've devoted my brand new Corvette to God. And so I can't help you with your needs. And Jesus says, you're keeping your rules, but you're completely missing the law of God, which says you're supposed to be honoring your father and your mother. And so they didn't see how miserably they were actually failing at keeping God's law. Their extra rules kept them from seeing the fact that they were actually failing at the real rules of God. The pain on the outside kept them from seeing the termites on the inside. Does that happen anywhere with you? Um, One way to get about that, think about the places that, that you maybe feel superior to other people. Uh, maybe you feel superior because, well, well, I read the Bible every day. Or, or I'm here every Sunday. Or maybe it's because you're a responsible citizen and you're voting for the right person. Those other people aren't. You know who to vote for and who not to vote for. You, you live in the respectable part of town. Maybe it's you're, you're progressive and those other people aren't. And you're tolerant and those other people aren't. And, and, and because of this, you feel superior to this other group of people. Those are the coats of paint that we put on. We feel better about ourselves. And they keep us there from seeing the termites that are at work in our hearts. But if you ever do see what's going on in your heart, if God ever does give you a glimpse of the real condition of your heart, you'll realize that there's nothing that you can do get the stain out. There's nothing you can do. You can't fix it. You can't fix it by being the best doctor or the best teacher or the best father. You can't fix it by going to church every time the doors are open for the rest of your life. You can't fix it. And that sounds really bad, right? But, but, but understand, if you realize that, you might just be finally getting to the place where you can see that there is someone you can get the stain out. Someone who can remove the stain that you can't. There is a stain. We're all trying to get it out. We can't get it out. There's someone who can. 
Uh, in verse 19, Mark adds some commentary here to what Jesus has said. He said, thus Jesus declared all foods clean. Jesus is saying that all foods are clean. Now, to us, I mean, when you kind of read that, you're like, okay, thanks for the editorial comment. But, but this is a real big deal because the basic rules about clean and unclean food, those were Old Testament laws. The Pharisees had added to them in unhelpful ways, but those clean and unclean rules really were in the Old Testament. And Jesus is not saying, well, all those rules were silly, let's just forget about them and move on. Those were rules that God had given. So what's Jesus doing? In Matthew, uh, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to, fulf- to fulfill them. So what's Jesus doing? What's Jesus saying here? Mark is saying that Jesus has come to fulfill the clean laws. Jesus has come to fulfill the clean laws. The clean laws have fulfilled their purpose. They fulfill their purpose. Why? Why have the clean laws fulfilled their purpose and why are they not needed any longer? Because the one who can actually make your heart clean is here. The one that they are preparing us for is actually here. In the flesh. In Jesus Christ. Uh, There's an amazing story in the book of Zechariah in chapter 3. In it, the prophet Zechariah has this vision of the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Now, you need to know for this to make sense that one day a year, one person, the high priest, was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. Now, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where the presence of God manifested itself. And the high priest had to start getting ready about a week before he did this. Uh, He was put in seclusion so he wouldn't accidentally come into contact with somebody who was unclean, so he wouldn't accidentally eat something that was unclean. The night before, he stayed up all night praying and reading his Bible and getting ready. And then the day that he was to go in, he bathed and he dressed in white linen. And then he went into the Holy of Holies and he offered a sacrifice for his own sin. And then he he came back out and he bathed again and they put on new white linen and he went back in and he offered another sacrifice for the sins of the other priest. And then he came back out and he bathed again and they dressed him in white linen again and he went in to offer a sacrifice for all the sins of the people. And and this was all done in public. He, He was behind the screen as he bathed but this whole thing was carried out in public. They They saw him go in. They saw him come back out. They saw him go in to represent them before God. But in order to do that, in order to represent the people, he had to be clean. He had to be clean. But in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 3, Joshua is the high priest, and he's standing before the angel, and the text tells us he's clothed Filthy garments. Filthy garments. It literally it says he's standing there in garments soiled with excrement. The, the high priest who's getting ready to go in 
and offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. Uh, in a, a sermon on this, Raymond Dillard says that the, the, the key question you've got to ask is, how did this happen? How did, how did this happen? The, the Israelites wouldn't have let this happen. They wouldn't have let Joshua go and represent them like that. Well, what's going on? God was giving Zechariah a vision so that he could see us the way God sees us. In spite of all of our cleaning up, all of our rituals, all of our things we try to do to get the stain out, he sees our hearts. He sees the excrement of our hearts. Let's go home. Now, the scene doesn't end there. The, the, the scene doesn't end there. The angel says, remove the filthy garments from him. And then he, he looks at Joshua and he says, behold, I have taken your iniquity away and I will clothe you with pure vestments and I will bring my servant the branch and I will remove the iniquity of the land in a single day. Let me give you a paraphrase quote from a, from a, from a book on this passage. Years later, another Joshua showed up. And he had his own day of atonement. Jesus started getting ready the week before. The night before, he didn't go to sleep. But what happened to Jesus was exactly the reverse of what happened to Joshua the high priest. Because instead of cheering him on, nearly everyone he loved betrayed, abandoned, or denied him. And when he stood before God, instead of receiving words of encouragement, the Father forsook him. Instead of being clothed in rich garments, he was stripped of the only garment he had. He was beaten and he was killed naked. He was bathed in human spit. Why? 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God clothed Jesus in our sin. He took our sin and then he took our punishment so that we could be clothed in fine linen. Jesus, Jesus was, was crucified. He took our sin so that we could be made clean. God clothes us in cost, costly, clean garments. But it cost Him His blood. And it's the only thing that can deal with the problem of our hearts. It's the only thing that can remove the stain of our hearts. It's the only thing, seeing that God has done this for us in Christ, is the only thing that can change our lip worship, our going through the motions worship, in the true heart worship. I, I just want to ask you this morning, what are, what are you doing to try to cover the stain? What are you doing to try to remove the spot Scripture says, stop, stop. You can't do it. You can't, you can't remove the spot. The problem is in your heart. But Jesus has come to do something about it. Jesus has come to do something about the stain in your heart. He stood before his Father, clothed in your sin, so that you could be clean. Let's pray together. Father, for, forgive us for the ways we uh, 
rely on our rule keeping and our religiosity to try to be clean. Forgive us of our, our self-righteousness. Uh, help us to see that all the, the working that we do can't make us clean, uh, but that you do in and through the work of Jesus Christ. Help us to rest in that work.